This episode of Pick Up the Six podcast is sponsored by Allbirds. I've been an Allbirds customer for years because their shoes look great, they're super comfortable, and they make shoes and clothes that are better for you and better for the planet by using revolutionary premium natural materials. As a runner, I'm also looking for a shoe that feels and fits great out on a run. And so I'm pumped to tell you about the Allbirds Tree Flyer. I have a pair and they are great. The Tree Flyer is lightweight, super springy and wildly comfortable making your running efforts of all shapes and sizes feel surprisingly effortless. They provide unbelievable cushion and comfort so even your toughest runs are easier on your body. I noticed from step one when I put these on they just felt great and that's thanks to the Swift Foam midsole. It's lightweight and big on cushion and energy return. I recommend these shoes because I wear these shoes. I have the orange ones Plus, they have loads of other great stuff, too. And they're hooking you up with a free pair of Allbirds socks on your next order of 50 bucks or more. Just use the promo code PICKUPTHESOCKS. Pretty good, right? Pick up the socks at allbirds.com on your next order of 50 or more, and you're getting a free pair of socks from those guys. Lace up the tree flyer and get running today at allbirds.com. That's allbirds.com. Janelle McCauley remembers watching Top Gun as a little girl and thinking, hmm. Can women do that too? They sure can. And she aimed to be part of it. From the Air Force Academy to over 3,000 flying hours and combat deployments, she has operated and led in rugged and high stress environments. We're talking about all that and more on this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. Janelle, it is a pleasure and an honor. Welcome to the show. Hey, um, it is so excited to be here with you, Brian. Um, thank you so much for the invite. I'm excited to see where the conversation takes us. Me too. Thrilled to do it. You've seen the new version of Top Gun yet? Have you partaken in this I epic have. adventure? I have. I have. And I thought it was great how um, it was just a really fun movie. It was uh, at a perfect time, I think, for us to yes. just be have our youth reinvigorated around the military mission and what is possible. It's a kick-ass American adventure that I, th I think you're right. I'm not trying to get too deep, you know, in the weeds, but like, I think you're, I think we need, I was like, well, God, we needed that now more than ever. <laughs> like, that's how I felt. Absolutely. It. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. And I think that it's just, um, I know you and I connected over uh, these Barbies that mm -hmm. um, I was given by a company, actually quite a few of us female speakers in the military um, pilot space were given to kind of give out to young girls as we speak around the country. And the movie, I think, really highlighted that women are capable of doing some amazing things. And um, that's the story that I really love kind of um, learning more about and, and helping spread. Yeah. The character is Phoenix in the new movie and they've got a Barbie of her, right? And it's really incredible. You know, it's well documented on the show, my dad's career in history and everybody's like, he must love Top Gun. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, he's an Air Force aviator. Those are, those are naval aviators. There's a little, I felt, I always felt like there's a little rub there when we would watch it or talk about it. For sure. And I don't know if many people know this, but actually the movie studio went to the air force first um to make this movie and the air force declined because they wanted to pursue this iron eagle project <laughs> which i'm sure we we all remember how iron eagle yes. turned out but um yeah the navy definitely scored with the top gun franchise 
Uh, I would say that's a fair assessment. Uh, and I think they brought it home. We, we don't need to spend the whole show talking about uh, Top Gun Maverick. I, I, I could because <laughs> I really did enjoy it. And I thought they tied it perfectly. I think they paid homage to the first. But, uh, you know, I, I grew up watching those big, bad F-15s fly over above. And for me, there's not a lot better than seeing the Air Force come flying in, but still a lot of good Americana happening in, in Top Gun. So it was it was a yes, fun experience. For sure. For sure. for sure. And actually from my, my background, my family were all Marines. Um, my two grandfathers served in the Marines. My uncle was a helicopter pilot. Mm-hmm. He actually flew Marine one for president Reagan. And he was the one that used to take me to the air shows. I grew up in Southern California, which there's quite a few Marine bases out there or now they're closed, mm-hmm. but they were at the time. And he used to take me to the air shows at like El Toro and Tustin. Um, and I got a flight in a helicopter. And so he kind of exposed me to aviation at an early age. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's one sentiment when you think of like the Top Gun 1986 and the Top Gun of today, you know, where there is more of a presence of, you know, females participating in the flying And a lot of people say, well, that's so important because if you can't see it, you can't be it. But I didn't see it and I was still aiming to be it. Right. Like and and so I think there's also a sentiment um, that, you know, somebody has to be able to have a vision for what's possible for them um, because somebody always has to be the first. Right. So I think that's really important and a lesson to take away that. You know, because that's what I took from the first movie was I remember asking my dad, like, why don't they let the women fly the planes. And he always used to use this quote with me, which is vision is the art of seeing the invisible. Mm. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean you can't think that it's possible for you to believe you can be it someday. So that was what was always anchoring me and my vision for the future, whether that was flying airplanes, which I obviously did, but also, you know, there were many times in my career, especially my second career now, where I teach the military and high stress occupations, how to train their minds and do mental pushups. And there were so many people that told me that's not possible. Like nobody's going to buy into that type of training. Um, and, uh, you're facing an uphill battle, but I could see the vision where we needed to explore and tap into our mental capacity to do difficult and hard things. And I just believed that that was possible for me to be an influencer and an educator in that, in that space. And that the military, the law enforcement first responders would definitely re- this message would resonate with them. And that's definitely what I'm finding. I can, I can physically feel the collective head nod of our listeners as you're going through that. Cause it's just checks, right. For the things that they care about. And you think about sort of the legacy of right when that movie was, it, it's a still a little bit of chunk of time before we've got sort of this trio and Betty Presler's part of that group. She was on our show a few months ago and shares about kind of heading into the unknown and being this first wave of female fighter pilots, right. That are going to be part of, of changing history for the better, right. As we go forward. And I know that you're close with and friends with, and have a lot of mentors in that space. And we've been very fortunate. And one of the things we want to do here and start with Casey Campbell, probably over a year ago at this point, sharing stories about being in that space and, and being uh, an anomaly to an extent, right. Uh, uh, and, And having, the, the battles and challenges that come with it. The, the Air Force Academy for you, right? Was that always the place you wanted? I mean, it was, you're pretty locked in on heading in that direction. 
Actually, no, I really wanted to go to Notre Dame and be a corporate lawyer or an orthopedic surgeon for like a professional sports team. That was probably one of my first ambitions. Um, The reality of my life was that I was surrounded by public servants. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a nurse. I had that heavy Marine Corps and influence. And so I think I just constantly felt this call to public service in some way, shape or form. I did a lot of volunteering when I was um, in high school as well. And, um, you know, that exposure to the flying world also was also, was predominant in my life. Um, but to be really honest, the, where the pivot happened, I mean, two ways we you know, I knew that my dreams were going to come with a lot of debt <laughs> if I actually did explore those, uh, the, the law or medical career field. Um, and so the academies really were a realistic option for like my family's financial situation mm-hmm. at the yeah. time. Um, and then honestly, I was not your stereotypical high schooler who you would say, oh yeah, she's going to go in the military, especially back in like the early nineties. Like I was a cheerleader and um, a dancer and I was Miss Teen California. (laughs) So there was not like a lot of, I was a baton twirler. Yeah, sure. So these were not things that were, you know, building me toward what you would think is a future as a combat pilot or a military officer. Um, and I think that's also a great part of my story is that, you know, the more people told me, oh, there's no way you could go fly airplanes, the more it created this sense of um, determination and like grit in me um, to go and explore the edges of my potential, despite what other people would say I could or couldn't do. Um, And so I think that's really important for all those young people out there who may think, oh, well, I'm not the type of person that goes and joins the military. Like there is no type of person, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's just you, you being your authentic self and bringing that to the table that I think is so important in today's all volunteer force. Over 3,000 flying hours, C-21, C-130, and the KC-10. So tell our listeners, a lot of folks will know what those are, what those are. but for those who don't, tell us about the, those, those trio of aircraft. Yeah, so I spent um, most of my career in, on the mobility side of flying, and I flew three different planes, as you mentioned, upgrading to instructor, evaluator, and, and all three. Um, I kind of joke that I could never keep a job. As soon as I got really good at flying one aircraft, they sent me to a different one. Um, each had its own unique mission. The C-21, I was stationed in Europe, and I flew um, distinguished visitors all over Europe, Africa, the Middle East for that career or for that portion of my career. Then I moved on to the C-130, which is a combat tactical airlifter. I actually flew the C-130E model, which is now not non-existent. We've upgraded to the H and J models, which are way more high tech than the one that I flew. Like I technically, or I was actually flying the same C-130s in Iraq that they flew in Vietnam. Um, So that's how old, but that's also demonstrates like the workhorse, like really how amazing that plane was. Um, So I spent a lot of time in Iraq and Afghanistan um, flying on night vision goggles and combat you know, environments, flying in and out, um, people, personnel and uh, cargo 
into combat zones. So I did that for quite a few years. Then I moved to the KC-10 tanker, which is like an airborne air refueling um, uh, platform. So we would fly over the combat zones and then aircraft would come up and get gas from us to keep, you know, their missions going. Mm -hmm. So those were very long um, uh, and sometimes um, complicated missions trying to get gas and give gas and figure out where, where the mission needs were. So, yeah, so I did all three of those. And then I commanded a unit that ran two different airfields um, and did all the training for or half the training for the KC-10 aircraft and all crew positions um, out at in New Jersey. So that was uh, also a unique command that I had. It's always pretty remarkable to me to see videos, pictures of those KC-10s and that refueling up when you're putting gas in a fighter jet, you know, all the way up in the air, moving. I mean, what an incredible uh, just orchestration of of teamwork and effort to be able to do that. Yeah, and I think most people don't even realize, you know, most of the pictures or the missions that you see, it is a tanker dragging fighters and the fighters getting the gas off the off the tanker. But, you know, uh, the KC-10 was a very versatile platform in that we could give gas, but we could also take gas ourselves, mm. which meant we could stay up in the air for very long periods of time. Um, and so um, just imagine like two, you know, 400,000 plus pound aircraft flying within feet of each other. Yeah. Um, you know, taking gas like it, especially in some austere environments, weather conditions at night, um, it it is a very um, complex mission set and very unique to the KC-10 platform. And um, I think that that's probably like a very intense um, moment uh, mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't kind of realize that, that, okay, you could, you fly the little planes or the smaller planes, right. Very close together, but we actually fly these very heavy, very big aircraft, very close together as well. And um, there's a lot of uh, danger, right. Like yeah. inherent. into Yeah. So like you well. watch a NASCAR race, you can watch those small cars zoom around the track and get within inches of each other. Uh, let's do that with school buses. <laughs> right? Like, how's that going to work? Out? Be careful. <laughs> Not a lot of margin yes. there, there. For sure. One of yes. my, we've got so many great stories that we've been very honored and, and fortunate to tell here, but I go all the way back to the beginning of the podcast and we started in February 21 and we had Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Spanky Peterson on, who was part of Operation Red Wings and he was the Payfalk helicopter pilot that picked up Marcus Luttrell. And, and Spanky shares that story. And when you watch the movie, it, it is, it's rather focused on the helicopter going in, picking up Marcus, taking him out. He goes into detail about everything, gunships and A-10s and big birds up in the air and, and really paints the picture for all that is involved in major movements like that. And I get the sense that in those deployments, in those combat zones, and you talk about rugged and high stress environments, you got to witness things like that. For sure. I think that's something that, you know, those of us that have deployed and been in those environments realize is that it's such a team effort mm-hmm. from all phases of flight, all aspects of a mission set um, that, you know, and I know a lot of like, I'm sure Kim Campbell would recognize or said on when she was talking to you that, you know, she had a mission to support the army 
troops on the ground and what she was doing flying her A-10. But like, you know, that would not have happened without like the command and control, without the air refueling, without, you know, like the C-130s bringing in some of those supply, you know, resupplying and some of those austere airfields. So it is a it's almost like this masterpiece, right, of how it kind of all fits together and works together. And everybody has their unique role um, that is vitally important to the end goal. Yeah. You talk about, you know, high performance under stress with a holistic approach. So even in your military career, and it's a lot of what you do now, right? What you're able to do in sort of 2.0 career is centered around that. Did, did you have a, a feeling and, and just a passion for exploring wellness, right? Holistic approach, even during your military career? And do you think, you know what, whenever this chapter closes, that's where I'll then pivot to after that? Yes. So at the Air Force Academy, I was a biology major. I've always had a passion for having a better understanding of how the human being operates. And so I started early in studying those concepts. I went on my first assignment actually in the Air Force was to go get my master's degree at Penn State, where I studied kinesiology and specialized in exercise physiology. Um, so that's always been a passion of mine, like understanding wellness and how I can max perform um, myself to achieve the goals I want, I set out um, to achieve. So that was like the underlying theme of my passion set. But then what happened is I went and flew airplanes for three different back-to-back assignments, started leading people. I started doing these other things that were asked of me within the military and also found some inspiration and excitement in those areas. And I distinctly remember about midway through my career, I had this epiphany where I kept saying, well, I'm going to do this thing, flying airplanes and leading people. And eventually I'll get back to this other Mm -hmm. passion I have around wellness and performance. And I remember sitting at Air Command and Staff College and just having this aha moment where I thought, why do they have to be mutually exclusive? Why can't I bring in this passion for wellness into my leadership and into the things I'm doing in the military today? And so that really started me on this journey. I got my PhD and I led my team in a new and different way. Um, When I, my PhD, I studied how do you build the most effective human weapon system to execute a high stress mission in a rugged environment. And what I found was that we can train three things as human beings. We can train our bodies, we can train our craft, and we can train our mind. And up until then, I realized I have spent a whole heck of a lot of time training my body and training my craft to do these complex um, missions and deployment um, areas, but I've never actually formally trained my mind, Hmm. right? Besides doing challenging and difficult things repetitively, which is a way to build mental strength, no doubt. And that is the core of how the military trains us um, in the mental space. But I realized that is just one piece of the equation. It is incomplete. We can actually formally build practices and do things to prepare our minds to thrive in rugged environments, to prepare our psychological and emotional or prepare for psychological and emotional trauma, which we will all experience, especially when you're walking out the door into a combat zone. Um, And so that is something that I really realized we don't focus on in the military is the left of bang, Mm -hmm. um, proactive mental health um, and, and these these I call them really psychological performance initiatives um, that are focused in leadership, not in the medical field. 
I think that's the gap we have that currently exists. And that's the one I'm trying to fill. You know, it's relatively easy for us to say my elbow hurts. Let me rehabilitate it this way or to say, Hey, I got to put you on a performance plan review, uh, you know, in the workplace. And we need to see you accomplish these metrics to get to where we need to. That brain is a tricky pickle, man. There is a lot happening. There's a lot of things we don't know. And there's a lot of things that we just as humans can't even understand about our own. So what are some keys to formally building the practices to strengthen element three, right? You said body craft mind, right? Those first two, again, I got a sore back. Okay, cool. Do this. But that mind is a different thing. So what are some keys? What are some keys to success or, or maybe just some tangibles our audience can, can start looking into and, and, uh, and putting into practice? For sure. So I teach an eight hour course called Warrior's Edge, where we dive into the 16 principles of mindset. So there's actually 16 different ways you can train your mind and exercise your mind to prepare for challenging circumstances and to thrive in those environments. Um, so the core and the foundational piece really is around the exercise of mindfulness. And really, I think mindfulness, it's kind of having a moment. So some of your listeners might have heard of it. Um, but I want to be very clear as a operator and someone who's researched in this space. This is not just this fuzzy, like, oh, meditation, mm -hmm. like I'm going to just breathe type of exercise. Now it's rooted and anchored in an ancient tradition that is built upon these ancient warriors. Um, and so that's really what I'm asking our modern day warrior to do is to reconnect with that ancient warrior who knew that they needed to train and exercise their minds to do the things they were going to be asked to do. Um, you know, back then they were part of the tribe and then they had to go and execute these wartime missions and then come back and reintegrate with the tribe. And that that's really where our culture today, our veteran population kind of struggles, right? This idea that I'm fine in a combat zone, but I'm so not fine when I come home. Um, and a lot of that is because we aren't properly training our minds to prepare for those circumstances. So mindfulness is the core skill set that I teach because it is it gives us three things, three very important things. The first phase of mindfulness is learning to connect with our breath. And when we learn to connect with our breath, we open up a whole host of ways that we can find ourselves calm and more focused and more contemplative and more emotionally regulated and how we can make um, our decisions, especially under stress. So connecting with our breath is the first step and, and that's vitally important. The second step is disconnecting from thoughts, right? So you use your breath to disconnect from thoughts. I, I equate mindfulness training as doing mental pushups. Mm. It's the ability to see that there's thoughts inside your head and then consciously choose to let the thoughts go and redirect your focus back to your breathing. And every time kind of your mind wants to chase thoughts and you redirect it back to your breath, you're doing a mental pushup with your attention system, right? Because our attention system is like a flashlight. It can be laser focused at what's happening in your, you know, or what's most prominent in your conscious experience. So what's happening right in front of you, but it can also, that flashlight can be focused right internally at our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And when we have that attention system focused internally too much of the time. That's where we listen to the stories. We create narratives. We, um, 
we catastrophize, right? The majority of the catastrophes we'll experience inside our lifetime will only happen inside our head, but they will feel very real because our mind is very powerful. Mm. And so learning to train our attention system to face outward and be in the moment is that second phase of, of mindfulness, right? So we learn to connect with our breath. We learn to disconnect from thoughts. And then the third layer of what mindfulness provides for us is this ability to disconnect from those thoughts that are not helpful, the ones that are related to the stories, and then actually figure out, like we call it your inner wisdom, mm-hmm. right? It's about self-discovery and truly understanding what is important to you, what brings you purpose, what do you value? And many times we can't hear those whispers, right? We can't hear that wisdom because there's so much noise inside our heads that's related to the expectations of the world around us, the rules that are forced on us by our families or our bosses or, you know, just um, Some of which you might not have even agreed to. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. That's why people, this is, this is, and I'm writing my book on it. So I'm, I'm actually um, diving into that uh, uh, this year. I'm getting my book written, but it really is about this concept of how we end up one day looking around and thinking I'm really successful and I'm really miserable. Like how did this happen? And part of it is because we didn't train our minds in the beginning. We didn't learn how to filter out those things that sometimes, like you just said, you're not even aware. And that's really what mindfulness provides for us an awareness mm-hmm. of the decisions we make an awareness of the stories we tell ourselves so that we can make better choices that are anchored in really the foundation of who we are, not just what we do. This is not an apples to apples comparison, but if you remember in the first yeah. episode of the Sopranos, Tony's sitting there across from his psychologist And he says, I find myself having to be the sad clown. I'm all these things on the outside, right? I got to carry my family. He's got to carry some shady dealing. So thus I'm saying it's not apples to apples, but he's basically dying inside, right? And he admits he's dying inside. Uh, And that's that sort of sad clown syndrome. Do you need to set aside time for mindfulness or can you deploy it in real time in a moment of fleeting thought? or a moment of vulnerability? So, yes. And I'll use a military analogy. We do deliberate planning, which is we have time to focus on a problem, to build some scenarios, to create solutions. And that's the work you do ahead of time before the crisis hits. But then once the crisis hits, right, you do crisis action planning because you have to get through those moments, right, and adjust to the to the current scenario. So it's the same thing with mindfulness. There is a deliberate training with mental pushups that you need to do. It's like you wouldn't expect to build physical strength just doing push-ups when you have to take a physical fitness test, right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. you have to build up that physical strength for in preparation for that moment. Yep. Same thing with mental strength. You need to do this deliberate training with mental push-ups to be prepared for those challenging circumstances. The research today will say you want to do between 10 to 12 minutes a day of mental push-ups. So I have found that there's two ways to do that deliberate training. You can do 10 to 12 minutes in one sitting. And some people find that 
easy and very effective. There's some great apps out there that will give you a 10 to 12 minute meditation. So you can just hit play, do your 10 minutes, and then you've done your mental pushups for the day. Um, however, what I have found, I tend to be a highly anxious person. And if I just do my 10 minutes in the morning by about two o'clock in the afternoon, like my anxiety and stress can start to yeah, rise again. Sure, right. Sure. Understandable. A little bit of that right? A little bit of that awareness. So what I have found to be most successful in my life, and I think this is uh, similar to a lot of individuals, is I do 10 one-minute intervals throughout my day. And I think that it's a great way to set boundaries in your life. It's a great way for transition points. So like I'll do, you know, a few minutes in the morning. I usually do a minute before I start my work day. If I'm taking my kids to school, we do a minute before school drop off. Whenever I come home and pull my car into the garage, um, I will do a minute before I engage and walk into the house. Um, so this is where this skill set because all it requires, right, is your breath, which is free and always with you. <laughs> so no matter where you're at, right, you have this skill set. So that's the deliberate practice. And that's something that then creates the um, more rational decision making, less emotional responses to things that are going on in your life, keeps you more mindfully aware of how your mind is operating in any environment. So that's important. Then the second thing we were talking about is this crisis action. So if I'm say in an aircraft in a high intense situation and, you know, that's not really the time to be like, Hey, I need to do a mindful minute, but it is the time to say, I'm going to take one deep breath mm -hmm. to reconnect my focus in, in the moment to remind myself, cause I've trained my body to tap into my breath in such a way that I can just take that single breath. Yep. And we, and I call it a stop, breathe, refocus exercise. That's like the tactical pause, right? So you're in an intense situation, just stop for a second, take a nice deep breath and then refocus on what's most important in that moment. Yep. So those are the two ways that yep. mindfulness can kind of um, help us um, capture our performance, especially when things get stressful. In a movie, it's in the scene, it takes 30 seconds. In real life, that stop, take a breath and refocus is a second or two, right? But it, and, and then I'm just a guy, right? I don't have any uh, scientific background or a PhD or any training in this. But I have to believe that if you have set aside the time to mentally prepare and do those mental pushups, that when you stop, take the breath and refocus, it's triggering something in there that comes through your wiring that then can push you to keep moving forward. And I just know because you did the work before it's set in there, it's in your computer, like it's saved in there somewhere. Right. Yeah. Well, and here's, here's an interesting way. I think that it is easily relatable to a lot of individuals. We actually have an ancient brain operating in this modern chaotic world. And so if you think back to what our stress response was designed for, right? So imagine our ancestors running from say a saber tooth tiger, right? Yeah. They're fighting. I like to, I like to think about, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Like it would, it would, it would kick off and they, you know, so all of their um, bodily functions focus on, you know, getting to the active muscle group so that you could run away or you could fight your way out of something, right? Like digestion stops all of these unnecessary, like rest and recover spaces mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, get put on the back burner so that we can bring our full self to this moment that we might have to flee or fight. So imagine in that moment, your ancestor, right, is fleeing from the saber tooth tiger. As soon as they got to safety, 
the first thing that they would do would be what? Take a, yeah. right? Like a nice long exhale. And what is happening physiologically in those moments is that our vagus nerve, right? Which connects our mind and body. When we have an elongated exhale, it triggers relaxation and calm. So that's why our stress response would go off. They'd run away. Mm-hmm. They get to stay. They take an elongated exhale and it would signal I'm safe. I can relax. I can be calm. So when we train mindfulness and we connect with our breath in that way, when we're in that intense situation, we are actually like the scientific background to it is we are reconnecting that vagus nerve, Mm -hmm. right? Our vagal system to um, help our bodies remember that we can find calm and stressful situations with that just elongated exhale. But the thing is, is that most of us have trained this concept out of our bodies, right? Like we never exercise that parasympathetic relaxation response. We are always sympathetically activated, right? Like you're on the phone with a customer service agent and you're getting all upset. You're like driving your car and you're getting stressed out and upset. You're dealing with your kids and you're yelling and getting upset and emotional, right? It's because we have wired ourselves in that way to be sympathetically activated. And that's a comfort space for our body. So what I teach people how to do is the parasympathetic activation to rewire not only our brains, but our bodies to find value in that rest and recover space in the elongated exhale. And actually that that's a valuable part of performance, Mm. which I think is kind of culturally, um, our culture today does not see the value, right? They're like, Hey, I can't stop. Right. Like I just got to go, 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 go. That's where, you know, the work is, that's where the performance lies. And there is truth to that, but it's not, you know, mutually exclusive from that parasympathetic. I I think um, one of maybe the only positives from the last two years in this pandemic space is that maybe it's given us a little bit more perspective on not always go, go, going. Because a lot of that go, go, going was taken away from people for a while and you had to kind of refocus back on some things. Hey, where do you come down on advancements in alternative medicines? And I'm specifically talking about products like CBD related towards mental health, specific to warriors, combat veterans. Because I've got friends in that space, right, that are pushing thinking of new ways, right? We can't over-medicate everybody with pharmaceuticals. There's got to be other ways to help approach this. I didn't ask you this before we talk, but as our conversation's going, I just love to get whatever you're comfortable sharing, just your opinion on that. So I'm going to preface it with that's not my area of study. Um, But I will say that in the research around mindfulness in particular, what we're finding is that in comparison to say um, antidepressants and different types of medicines that affect mood, right? From depression and um, from uh, like hyperactivity, um, which are all really uh, symptoms of what's going on inside our, you know, like our minds um, because of the stress that we're under and what we're feeling. And so you can affect your emotional regulation and that attention system and keep it outward using mindfulness training, or a lot of these drugs kind of do the same thing, right? They get, Mm -hmm. get you outside your head and more in the moment. 
But what we're finding in the research around mindfulness is that it can be just as effective without any of those side effects, right? For people that struggle in that space. So that's definitely in the research today. As far as I think what you're kind of also asking is like, you know, there's new research around psychedelics. There's new research around these healing programs that veterans, right, are are definitely showing um, improvement and benefits from some of these uh, different forms of treatment. Yeah. And really what it is, is, you know, when we experience trauma, right, it almost like gets trapped in our body. And if we, you know, especially most of us that are military members and veterans or like my dad, you know, was a cop. And so I know a lot about law enforcement as well. Like none of us want to get the help, nor have we done the proactive things from the beginning to help us become more resilient and mentally strong when we're exposed to those things. So then what happens is that trauma gets trapped. We don't deal with it, right? We push it down and eventually it will rear its ugly head, right? Because that's how trauma works. And so that's why my work is so important because I want to work left of bang to help prepare people because what's not going to change is the stress in your life. What's not going to change is that we're going to ask people to do difficult and challenging things. So why can't we do more to prepare them for those um, environments? And then also have the right types of treatments on the other side, you know, because even if you're fully prepared and trained your mind, you can still be exposed to some pretty traumatic things that are going to require treatment on the other side. So I think it's a two-prong approach and I'm really, really excited about some of the new research that's, uh, that we're finding in this space of psychedelics. I'm not pushing those by any means, but I'm definitely have been reading some of the research and it's very intriguing and, um, the benefits I'm seeing. Yeah. I just, again, like just a guy kind of looking in from the outside thinking we've had years and years and we still have, uh, an epidemic of the warrior coming home. Uh, and, and ultimately doing the one reversible act that we can't fix, right. Which is suicide and taking their own lives. And it's, I just, I have to believe that there are ways in which we can couple, um, natural as much as possible. I'm sort of like, look, natural ingredients that can help, um, can help in the process. And as a compliment, I think what you're talking about has to be a part of this has been a fascinating conversation. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm so grateful to get to just open you up on this and just hear about all this. Cause I know our audience can be like, there's been a lot of, I mean, I've taken a whole page of notes here of things. I'm like, cool. I can do that. We can start doing that. Let me fold that in, tell people where they can find you, where they can get more, if they want to get in touch or just follow you, just, just let us know where you're at. For sure. So I have a website, JanelleMcCauley.com, where people can learn more about the programs, uh, both the workshops I uh, work with or I I use with organizations. Um, And then my Warrior's Edge program, which we also you can it's an online program as well as a workshop that we teach um, live and in person. And individuals can sign up for the Warrior's Edge program um, if they want to go through. It's about eight hours of um, uh, online training. I know people might be over 
for online training, but I promise it's really interesting. And um, we have some great partnerships with the Grit Institute and Angela Duckworth, as well as like some um, uh, different ways to learn about training your mind or at least getting started. And if you have children that also um, struggle in that area, a lot of the skill sets that I teach for adults are great for translating into your family life and helping your kids. Um, And then I'm on all the social media platforms. I'd love to connect with any of your listeners um, in that way. And then one last thing, I'm about to launch a talk show called Creating Lift, which is an opportunity for individuals to ask me questions on, you know, and I offer mentorship in the space of leadership, entrepreneurship, training your mind, like all of these kind of um, topics that we've been discussing today. So that's another thing that's going to be launching on Fireside, um, which is a new app um, and in July. Guys, go check it out. I know, like me, uh, you've probably been sitting here thinking that was an awesome conversation, uh, super insightful. I'm just thrilled we were able to do it. This is one of those, it's the blessings of the way the digital world can connect us these days. Because you see somebody comment on a post, I'm like, that's really interesting. We should have a chat. Here we are. <laughs> so I'm just grateful for you. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Brian, for this opportunity. And thanks for what you're, do, you're doing, putting all this goodness out into the world. It's our pleasure. Uh, and as we say here, it is uh, it really is a pleasure and honor for us to do it. And, and oftentimes I feel like it's the least we can do uh, after all the blessings that have been stowed upon us. That's for sure. She's Janelle McCauley. I'm Brian Jodas. That's been this episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. <laughs>